Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you're listening in today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Well, little Philip was a boy born with Down syndrome. And in his third grade Sunday school class, he was there with several other eight-year-old boys and girls. And typical of that age, they got along, but the children didn't always know how to accept Philip with his differences. But because he had a creative teacher, they began to care about Philip and accept him as a part of their group, though not fully until one day. The Sunday after Easter, the teacher brought uh, legs pantyhose containers, the kind that looked like a large plastic egg. Each child received one, and they were told to go outside on that lovely spring day and find some symbol for new life and put it into the egg-like container. Back in the classroom, they would share their new life symbols, opening the containers one by one in surprise fashion. After running about the church property in wild confusion, the students returned to the classroom and placed the containers on the table. Surrounded by the children, the teacher began to open them one by one. After each one, whether it was a flower, a butterfly, or a leaf, the class would ooh and ah. Then one was revealed and opened, and nothing was inside. The children exclaimed, That's not fair. Somebody didn't do their assignment. And Philip spoke up and he said, That one's mine. But there's nothing in there, said the students. And Philip insisted, I did do the assignment. It's empty. The tomb was empty. Silence followed, and from then on, Philip became a full member of the class. And today's Easter day. What a wonderful day. The tomb is empty. Everything is different now. What a change from Friday with death to Sunday with life. The German theologian Jürgen Moltmann expresses in a single sentence the great span from Good Friday to Easter. It's in fact a summary of human history, past, present, and future. He says this, God weeps with us so that we may someday laugh with him. Today we celebrate the risen Christ, the moment that changed everything. Resurrection, new creation had begun. Jesus was first born from the dead. But like any time when God moves, the first Easter was filled with just as much fear and uncertainty as it was joy and amazement. God does what we do not expect. And on that first Easter morning, the women were heading to the tomb expecting to anoint and pay respects one last time to the dead body of Jesus. They were unable to anoint his body before he was placed in the tomb because the Sabbath would not allow it. They could neither purchase spices or ointments, or they, and they couldn't travel on the Sabbath either. So Sunday, the day after the Jewish Sabbath, the women set out to anoint the body of Jesus. Despite his predictions, Jesus' predictions of his death and resurrection, they were expecting a body, a closed tomb. What they found was very different, and they had to decide, what will we do, and how will we respond? And the Gospel of Mark ends the scene at the tomb with an uncomfortable moment. There's a messenger, we're all familiar with the story, there's a messenger that says that Jesus is risen, he's not here. And he tells them to go and tell the others about the living Christ. But at the end of that scene at the tomb, the women aren't sure what to do, this is not what they expected. 
and so they don't obey, at least not immediately. They're full of awe and fear, and so they say nothing, at least for the moment. They're faced with a decision to believe the miracle of Easter or to believe conventional wisdom, which for most people is life does not follow death. Decisions are difficult. When we decide, we must choose an option and let go of the others. I found a picture on the internet a few weeks ago that I found uh, quite funny to me. Uh, it's a picture of a store. Uh, it's probably, it might be a grocery store. I think it's a Walmart. And in the picture, there's a set of dumbbells. They're pink little dumbbells, uh, maybe like a two or three pound, just little hand weights that you'd use for working out. And they're on a store shelf. But the funny thing is, is the dumbbells are not in the exercise department. They're sitting amongst a mountain of packages of Oreos. Yeah, the cookie section. And the picture just has a caption, a decision was made here. Someone decided between exercise and cookies. It's a small, minor decision, but a decision that expresses priorities and desire. A decision tells us a little bit about the person. Uh, that decision tells us a little bit about the person who left the weights behind. They wanted those cookies. And in this case, just of weights and cookies, that little case, it doesn't tell the person's whole story. Uh, but you add all our decisions together, and they do tar start to tell our story. There's a Columbia researcher, uh, Shiana Iyengar, um, and found that the average person makes about 70 decisions every day. And uh, she added it up and multiplied it out, and it comes to 25,550 decisions a year. And over 70 years, that's over, a, I'll say, a million seven hundred eighty-eight thousand five hundred decisions and Albert Camus said, life is the sum of all your choices. You put all those 1,788,500 choices together, and they suspected that's who you are. Now, all our decisions added together do tell our story. They give a window into who you and who I am. But some of those decisions are more influential than others, like who you marry and what career you pursue and how you handle crises. But there's one decision that is far more important than any other. It's not just choosing between Oreos and exercise weights. It's a decision that will shape the course of your life and your eternity. It will affect every part of who you are. It's a decision to believe in Jesus and who he is and what he has done. Timothy Keller said this, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that Jesus said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like the teachings of Jesus, but whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. And Easter is the day where we celebrate and we remember that Jesus rose from the grave. You and I are faced with the decision. Do we believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be true? Do we not? And that decision changes everything. Today, as we look at our text, I think the resurrection of Jesus changes us and transforms us in many ways. But as I read the text, there's three things I want to point out. The resurrection of Jesus Christ should fill us with a holy fear of God. It should fill us with hope for the future. 
and it should fill us with confidence in the task that God has set before before us in proclaiming Christ. So let's go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. We're just going to read verses 1 through 8 today. Beginning in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who is crucified. He is risen, and he's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. There are three details I want to focus on this day. As I reflected on Easter, they leapt out at me, and I think if you will grab onto these three details, you'll find some power there for your life. The first detail is the empty tomb. Well, actually, (laughs) the funny part is it's empty, but it's not actually empty. Mark tells us that there's a messenger, presumably an angel. It says a young man, but it's presumably an angel is sitting inside on the right side of where Jesus was laid. You see, the empty tomb by itself is not the miracle. You can have an empty tomb without a miracle. In the Gospel of John, Mary assumes that the body of Jesus has been taken, stolen. It's there in John chapter 20, verse 13, and they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she says, they've taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they have put him. The empty tomb without resurrection would be a scandal and a poor joke or a further kick in the gut of the disciples. The power of the empty tomb is in the miracle of the resurrection. And that miracle opens up uh, these ladies to the power of God in a way that they've never experienced before. There's a definite sense in this account that the women are filled with fear, these three ladies. I think it's both good and bad fear together, and they have to sort it out. It starts as maybe not so good a fear, and then it turns into a wonderful fear. Well, first, we know was they're traveling to the tomb, there's a different sort of fear, really awful fear. They're fearful of what they're expecting, the body of Jesus and a tomb they can't open. They were also fearful that when they encountered, um, they were also fearful uh, in their response when they encountered the unexpected. When they got there and it wasn't a body and it wasn't a closed tomb, it was open and empty. Can you imagine what the expressions of their faces were as the truth slowly dawned onto them? He's not here. And he's not just taken, he's risen. He's alive. In that moment of realization, they needed to decide what to do with the fear they had in the face of the power of God. They could turn that fear they had into a holy reverence, or they could run and hide. And for a moment, they kind of do choose to run. 
The women don't obey the angel right away. It's a little bit of an awkward ending to the scene at the tomb. But fortunately, it's not how either of the Mary's or Salome's stories end. They come around. They let the disciples know. But it does ask us the question, how do you react to the unexpected? Do you face into it and deal with it? Do you get angry at it? Do you run from it? How do you do when you run into something you weren't expecting? It's a longtime actress and comedian, uh, Grace Allen, and she once received a small live alligator as a prank, a gag gift. She didn't know what to do with it. Uh, But she had to go to an appointment, so she just slid it into the bathtub and left. When she got back home, figuring she's got to figure out what to do with this alligator, she found a note from her maid. Dear Miss Allen, sorry, but I have to quit. I don't work in houses where there's an alligator. I had told you this when when I was took on, but I never thought it would come up. Yeah, what do you do when you find the unexpected? Do you just run? Do you face into it? Now, God is not an alligator. But sometimes when God shows up in an unexpected way, it looks and feels a little scary. And in that moment, we face the unexpected and we must make a decision. We can either run in fear or respond in reverence. Now, the idea of becoming a Christian, if you're not a Christian, the idea of following Jesus can inspire the emotion of fear. You might wonder what will come next. None of us like to admit our mistakes or our sins, and none of us like to realize that we need to change. There's all sorts of realizations and decisions that can make us nervous and fearful when it comes to changing our lives. And those first ladies were overcome with a negative fear at first. They fled from the tomb. They didn't like what they were seeing. Conventional wisdom says death is found in tombs. Those crucified are not brought back to life. Their whole world was flipped upside down, and they didn't know what to do with it. But that's the thing. Easter does flip our world upside down. It tells us that we are important to God. We are loved by God, and we are able to receive a fresh start on life and life eternal because of what Jesus has done on the cross and then rising from the grave. Conventional wisdom might make you fearful. Can I really be forgiven? Can I really have a fresh start? Does God really love me? Does he care? You might be suspicious because conventional wisdom says, yeah, maybe you can't really be forgiven. Someone will always hold a little bit of a, a grudge or they'll, they'll remember that and throw it at you when it's least, uh, least wanted. But here's the thing. There is no catch when it comes to God. He has all of this love and forgiveness for you. But a decision must be made. Now, here's the wonderful part. When you decide to believe and receive the resurrection of Jesus and let him be Lord of your life, he works to replace that negative fear and then fill you with a holy awe and wonder and fear. Terror is replaced with reverence. Fear can be negative, no doubt, but it can also be positive as in the awe and as in being in awe of the power of God. Psalm 2.11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Many times throughout the Bible, people are filled with fear when God shows up, when the angel shows up, or when they witness the power of God in a miracle. They're filled with fear. Sometimes it's that negative fear, but sometimes it's just being in awe of the power of God. 
Isaiah 6.5 gives us an instance. Isaiah cries out, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I hear in those words, yeah, there is some terror because there's a realization that Isaiah needs to be a man who is cleaner. But I also hear a person comprehending the truth of God and the power of God. When you comprehend the truth and the power, there is an awe and a wonder that can overtake you. And that happens with God. It happens with other things, too. I remember uh, standing near the Niagara Falls when I was in eighth grade. It was our eighth grade field trip. Went up to Toronto and Niagara Falls. And I'd seen videos. I'd seen pictures. But nothing compares to standing there in person, hearing the roar, feeling the rumble of the water. To stand in person at Niagara Falls is to comprehend in a very real way their wonder and power. And the fear of God that the Bible tells us about is a vivid comprehension of his power and truth. Easter, the empty tomb, the resurrection in the empty tomb brings us face to face with God, and we must decide to let that empty tomb fill us with awe and wonder and holy fear of the living Christ. A second detail I'd like to draw you to are the words of the man, the messenger, the angel in the tomb. He is risen and he's not here. So the empty tomb brings us face to face with the reality of the power of God, But the second detail of that resurrection story is that proclamation. He's risen. He's not here. That proclamation should fill us with hope for the future. F.F. Bruce, great theologian and biblical writer, says, When Christians affirm their belief in the resurrection of Christ, they're not referring primarily to the fact that his tomb was found empty. They're referring to the fact that on that first day of the week, Jesus appeared to several of his disciples alive again, alive, not merely for a further brief spell, but alive forevermore. There's a future found in the resurrection. And when we read the rest of the New Testament, we find that when the believers testified about Jesus, the response was not, we found his tomb empty, but instead, over and over, they proclaim, we saw him alive. It's not just that Jesus is gone. I said it at the beginning. It's not just an empty tomb. It's resurrection, that they saw Jesus alive, walking amongst them again. We can read in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, it says this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that means Peter, and then the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 other brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and at last he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. The empty tomb is wonderful, but the result is the miracle of resurrection. The resurrection is a proof of hope in the future of living and eternal life. We don't just say the tomb's empty. We say Christ lives. And the resurrection gives us hope. And here's a couple ways it gives us hope. The resurrection proved that sin was conquered. Romans 4.25 says this, He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Sin is conquered. Jesus has paid for that. 
The resurrection also proves that death was defeated. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power over death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives are held in slavery by their fear of death. Death defeated death and the fear of death. Hmm. Death is defeated. And the resurrection also proves that through Jesus, we are now new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. When that messenger proclaimed, He is risen. He's not here. He He filled us in on the good news. Jesus has purchased forgiveness. He has changed the destination. There is victory, and now we can have hope in the future. Paul Chapel says this, Because of the empty tomb, we have peace. Because of his resurrection, we can have peace during even the most troubling of times because we know he is in control of all that happens in this world. The resurrection gives us hope for the future. That last detail I'd bring up today is the mission that the messenger gives to the three ladies on the first Easter. Go and tell the others. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. Now Mark uses a specific word here. It's proago. And it's not just that Jesus is ahead of you, but it's something more. Proago is a word used to describe leading troops forward, to describe a commander making an advance. Watchman Nee, a Chinese pastor and evangelist in mainland China in the 20th century, gives us this word. He says, Our old history ends with the cross, and our new history begins with the resurrection. History is different now, and Jesus leads the way, and he also has a mission for us. He just doesn't send us on a mission. Let's be clear. Easter is the beginning of the mission of the church. Warren Wearsby says this, Easter is the truth that turns a church from a museum into a ministry. Jesus does not just send. He leads the way, never leaving us alone. We're never sent into the dark corners of the world where Jesus has never been. We're called to join with Jesus because he goes ahead of us. This should fill us with confidence for our calling. Back to those first witnesses of the empty tomb, the resurrection, the mission of the church that they were given. It took them a little while to make their choice. Remember that the text tells us the the women leave in fear and amazement. And there's a little bit of ambiguity there. They had a moment where they hesitated. They had to figure it out. And the text is asking us to figure out how we will respond. We need to understand that the resurrection is not the end of the story the beginning. I particularly appreciate David Garland's commentary on Mark. He says this, we cannot allow the resurrection account to become a faded, if cherished memory that is to be placed in a photo album and taken out once a year to be admired. The ending of Mark forces us to enter the story. We are the next chapter. What would we have done if we were those first women let in on the tremendous news? The question then becomes not what will the women do, stay in their fear or proclaim Christ, 
How long will they keep silent? But rather, what will we do now that we've been let in on the news? So today, stand in awe of the miracle of the empty tomb. Empty because of resurrection. Today, find hope in the risen Christ. Sin is paid for. Death is conquered. Now we can live with real life as God meant it to be. If you're not a Christian and you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to do it. And the easiest explanation that I can give on how to become a Christian comes right from the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9. And these are the very words that were shared with me when I became a Christian. It says simply this, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So today, if you're not a Christian, today's the best way to become, best, best day to become one. It takes acknowledging Jesus as your Lord and believing that God raised him from the dead. Will you do that? So today, find confidence that Jesus goes before you. It's easy to be a captive to fear, but Easter says, no more. No more are we to be captive to fear. We're to be captive only to Jesus. I want to close with a prayer written by Peter Marshall. Now, some of his language is a little bit older. It might be unfamiliar to us today. He uses a couple of these and thys, but I believe that it's a prayer worth praying again. And in the middle of the prayer is a line that invites God's help, but also calls us to a decision. The line is this. He prays, may we never again live as if thou were dead. May we never again live as Jesus was dead, but always live as if he's alive. Too often, I think we live like the resurrection never happened, and this should not be. So let's pray, and I'll read you this prayer by Peter Marshall. We thank thee for the beauty of this day, for the glorious message that all nature proclaims, the Easter lilies with their waxen throats eloquently singing the good news. The birds so early this morning, impatient to begin their song, are ever an ever-flowering tree, a shrub, a flaming bush, a living proclamation from thee. O oh, open our hearts that we may hear it too. Lead us, we pray thee, to the open, to the grave that is empty, into the garden of the resurrection, where we may meet our risen Lord. May we never again live as if thou were dead. In thy presence, restore our faith, our hope, and our joy. Grant our spirits refreshment, rest, and peace. Maintain within our hearts an unruffled calm, an unbroken serenity that, this, that no storms of life shall ever be able to take from us. From this moment, O living Christ, we ask thee to go with us wherever we go. Be our companion in all that we do. And for this greatest of all gifts, we offer thee our sacrifices of thanksgiving. Amen. He is risen. Jesus is risen. Now go with Jesus. <laughs>